Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you'd like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash from us films, LLC, or just search from us F R U M E S S. And don't forget to like share and subscribe audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. Hello. Welcome to tonight's stream. As soon as I mute that sucker, there we go. Feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling froggy. Feeling good. A little hot down here in the basement. What can you do? I had to shut off all the dehumidifiers, keep everything dry as a bone down here. Let's let this place quite arid, like the desert. Like the desert. That's okay, though. Um, so we've been talking about the Sex Pistols a lot. That is, uh, that's been a uh, quite a a uh, engaging topic as of recent. Um, I don't know. I guess my whole life I sort of always was just like, yeah, the Sex Pistols. Never mind the Bullocks. Blah 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 blah. You know, bodies. God save the Queen. Anarchy in the UK, and like that's you know really it. Oh, oh yeah, they're a boy band, blah blah blah. But you know, ever since I read that book, I've really sort of you know um, sort of reassessed the Sex Pistols. And you know, anybody who was a punker back in the late '70s will revel in how important the Sex Pistols were, are, whatever. Uh, and so for today's topic in relation to Sex Pistols, this is a bit of a clickbait. This is a bit of a clickbaity sort of topic. It's a little clickbaity. Uh, it's not my clickbait. This was what the 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 article that we're going to read from. It said this, it 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 piqued my interest, which is why I I pulled it out. It said um, Glenn Matlock, the unluckiest man in punk, and I thought that was rather thought provoking. Why would Glenn Matlock be the unluckiest man in punk? What makes him so unlucky? He was a part of the Sex Pistols. Well, you know, again, because I was a, a general, casual listener fan of the Sex Pistols, I didn't really understand, you know, where Glenn Matlock fits into everything. Um, and it's really kind of a sad story. It's a story... I guess a little bit like what happened to the Misfits after Joel did that Joel Doyle joined the band. There's like a little bit of like a de-evolution to their <laughs> their sound. What's going on, Rue Morg? How are you tonight? Welcome to the show. Yeah, there's like a little bit. There's like a little. Uh, it's like a little uh, de-evolution. You know, um, they they sort of they were really hurt. They're really hurt by having Sid in the band. In any case, Glenn Matlock, is he the unluckiest man in punk? That's the question. Was he given a raw deal by the Sex Pistols? That's the question. Um, to the, the answer to the first one, right off the bat before we even read this article, hell friggin' no, he's not the unluckiest man in punk. The dude is super lucky in for so many reasons. Uh, did he get a raw deal from the Sex Pistols? Also, uh, well, the answer to that would be yes. You know, he really got sort of hosed, screwed, whatever you want to call it, by the Sex Pistols. And and when he got he got kicked out. But you know when it you know when you look at it from like the long game, I think Glenn Matlock came out on top. Truly came out on top. Um, you look at a guy like Sid Vicious. Where is Sid Vicious now? He's He's not. <laughs> He's not anywhere now, you know? Um, even though Sid Vicious has been sort of like canonized, if, if that's the right word, canonized as like this 
uh, patron saint of punk poserdom, I still think that Glenn Matlock has the better deal. Uh, so let's let's read, let's read, shall we? Let's take a look at what is said here, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump over to something else um, that also thematically talks about this stuff as well. Hold on, here we go. Glenn Matlock, the unluckiest man in punk. This is written by Mick McStarkey. What a name, Mick McStarkey. And this is from Far Out Magazine in the UK, and it was written over a month ago. Mick writes, Glenn Matlock is a brilliant musician. He is. There can be no doubt about it. As the bassist of the British punk band The Sex Pistols, Matlock contributed to one of the most iconic and influential albums ever released. After his departure from Britain's premier punk rabble, he played in short-lived new wave supergroup called The Rich Kids, which came out on EMI, by the way, uh, and even featured on Iggy Pop's hard-rocking 1980 album Soldier. Great album, by the way. So he's he got to collaborate with, with Iggy Pop, put out music as The Rich Kids, which had their own little, you know, success Short-lived, but success. In short, Matlock has had many musical exploits since his days in the Pistols. This is true. However, his stint as the band's original bassist has been the defining episode of his career, as you would imagine it would be. Like, you know, it, it most certainly is. There's nothing There's nothing that he's done that's, that's topped that. He's also responsible for writing 10 out of the 12 songs. They said, um, I think it was Steve in his book talked about how Glenn is very influenced by the Beatles. And, you know, Steve Jones is very influenced by Johnny Thunders, amongst other things. You know you know who are, the Sex Pistols get a lot of their um, influence from? I found this uh, surprise, uh, qu- quite shocking. Uh, they were really into Rod Stewart and the faces, small faces and the faces. And that a lot of, uh, according to Steve Jones, that if you listen to the faces, you're going to hear a lot of the Sex Pistols. Uh, Rue Morg says, Matlock was a great bassist compared to Sid. I mean, Sid wasn't even a bassist. Sid was cool, but he had no self-control, which is a weakness in my book. I mean, Sid didn't, he, he didn't even play bass, man. Like, he didn't even play bass. Like, he played a little bit of bass on the song Bodies. That's the only actual studio credit that he has. He used to turn his bass off when he played live. Um, so Matlock was born in London in 1956, and I guess the other guys kind of considered him to be like a posh boy. For, I don't know, you know, posh means like fancy or something. Matlock attended the city's prestigious St. Martin's School of Art, now known as the Central St. Martins, until 1974. Around this time, the British chapter of the punk scene was starting to formulate. It was largely centered around. Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren's clothing boutique, Sex, on the King's Road in West London. Now, other things that are going on at this time, we've spoken a little bit about this. Around 1973, that's when the Rocky Horror Picture Show comes about. Rocky Horror Picture Show is super proto-punk on the British side of things, right? So, like, that's all happening on King's Road as well. You know, you got Bowie going on, Glam, Slade, all this stuff. McLaren had had made trips over to New York and been exposed to Richard Hell and the New York Dolls and even managed the New York Dolls for a brief stint. Uh, and now he was coming back and trying to, like, do his own thing. He wanted his own dolls. And he was going to get it in the form of the Sex Pistols. And so a lot of these, you know, everybody who's a player in the Sex Pistols either was a patron of, of this boutique called Sex that had sort of changed its sort of themes several times over the years, or worked in the store. And um, I guess Matlock was known as the Saturday boy. He, he worked on Saturdays at, at at the shop. It was here that Matlock would meet future Sex Pistols guitar guitarist Steve Jones, who, was, who had really been taken under the wing of uh, Vivian and Malcolm and had sort of become like a surrogate son in a way and drummer Paul Cook. At this point, Jones and Cook had already been playing in a band called The Strand since 1972. And they had, like, various players in The Strand, and it never worked out. They couldn't, you know, their singer, they had another guitarist, another bassist. It just, 
And yeah, it says, however, due to the Strand's inner turmoil after this meeting with Matlock in early 1974, the, the duo recruited him as the basis. So according to this article, because, you know, Steve Jones' book doesn't really deal with dates that much. So, you know, the Pistols were formulating as early as 74. I mean, they have a very short-lived career. By, by January of 1978, they're done. This is literal, you know, literally like four years of, of any kind of span. Um, fast forward to the fall of 1975. The band would morph into the Sex Pistols. So from early, so for about a year and a half, they had been sort of jamming and formulating and probably putting songs and things together. But they wouldn't be cohesively the Sex Pistols until the fall of 1975. And that's when Johnny Rotten is now in the band. And Johnny Rotten does not get along with Glenn Matlock at all. We've covered this in the past. They, they were not cool with one another, especially you know, Rotten towards Matlock. You never really hear about how Matlock felt towards Rotten, although I'm sure it wasn't that great. And you know, Rotten and McLaren sort of schemed to, to give Matlock the boot after the Solomon Grundy show in uh, December of 1976. He, you know, three months later, he'd be gone from the Sex Pistols. Uh, and they'd bring in Sid, who was the, supposed to be the original singer. Um, this came after McLaren had briefly decamped to New York in November 1974 and managed the iconic proto-punk troupe, the New York Dolls. After his sojourn to New York, McLaren returned to London in May of 1975 and was invigorated and inspired in equal parts by the punk scene that was unfurling in Lower Manhattan. Now, any British guy, any British bloke will, will tell you, oh no, we were doing, we had our own punk scene that was going on, it didn't start, started, you know, the, it's not true, the states were not, didn't, weren't doing it first, and that's just BS, man, like, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's the truth, man. Like, stuff was percolating in, in New York City, and that percolation spilled over into Britain, and it's not the other way around. And, you know, in, in Britain, you have all this, you know, no future, disenfranchisement, massive unemployment, what are we going to do? You know, the youth are getting restless sort of stuff that's going on, which lent perfectly to sort of like this, this punk stuff, this individual, you know, this individuality and, you know, going against the grain and not having to be good at your own instruments and just picking up a guitar and forming a band because you didn't know what you were going to do in the next five years or you didn't know where you were going to be in the next five years. The radical style of artists such as the Ramones, Richard Hell, and television led him to taking a keen interest in the Strand and upon his return he put a concerted effort into managing them. Uh, this role was something that he had actually assumed before his transatlantic departure, but to a rather lax extent. Now, Jones, Steve Jones, will say, oh, you know, Malcolm was very much involved with everything involved, band affairs, except for the actual creation of the music. This is like an area where Malcolm didn't have any sort of influence or input. He wasn't you know, working, operating like a, like a Brian Epstein for the Beatles in that kind of way. But in every other aspect, in matters of business and all that-ish, he was. And he, you know, um, given his, well, it says it right here, given his well-known character as somewhat of a shyster, which is, you know, shyster is actually kind of a pejorative term, I believe. I believe it's a um, stingy for a Jew. I believe that's what it originates as, but I could be wrong. Let's look up what shyster means. Let's look it up, because that's what we do here on the show. We look things up. Uh, you guys can't see it, but I can on my screen. Here it comes. A person, especially a lawyer, who uses unscrupulous, fraudulent, or deceptive methods in business. Oh, so how about that? I guess I was totally wrong. What word am I thinking of? Maybe I'm thinking of, um, no, a shyster. Shyster, I thought was, uh, huh, huh, I guess I was wrong. But in any case, yeah, that's how you would describe Malcolm McLaurin. He's unscrupulous, fraudulent, and deceptive in, in matters of business. 
McLaren saw an opportunity that he was not about to miss. But he was all about sensationalism. He wasn't about, it wasn't about the music. It was never about the music. It was about creating publicity around what he kind of viewed as an art project. If Malcolm, Malcolm was making clothes, and it's like he was trying to make this, in his mind at least, he's trying to make the Sex Pistols as like, it's like this living, breathing sort of, you know, textile that he's trying to, you know, sell as a product. It wasn't until August of 1975 that the band would meet 19-year-old John Lydon on the King's Road. So for, for I mean, for a long time, John Lydon was not in. John Lydon was not involved with anything. Isn't that interesting? How, you know, he comes relatively late in the formation of the band, but at the same time. The band isn't truly the Sex Pistols until they have Johnny Rotten. I mean, they need Johnny Rotten is the face of everything. He he solidifies what they are going to be. Um, looking for a vocalist with long hair, the Strand spotted Lydon wearing an eye-catching Pink Floyd T-shirt with the words "I hate" handwritten above the band's name and holes scratched through the eyes. This chance encounter would be the true inception of the Sex Pistols. And think about, like, that sort of style. You know, I mean, that adds to the whole sort of, like, you know, the the punk mentality of subversively transforming something into a message and being something else. You know, Rue here says Rotten changed everything. I mean, he most certainly, it can't be, no matter what is going on now with the beef with the Sex Pistols, it can't be understated how integral and important Rotten was to them. And to an extent, you know, to, no matter what Steve Jones says, to to the sound, man. I mean, he's, he's, the, vo- he's the vocal piece. Although you don't think of, you know, Rotten, there's this difference. You know, you have, you have singers and you have vocalists. Glenn Danzig, he's a singer. Okay, the Everly Brothers—they are singers. Meatloaf—that's a singer. Uh, Mick Jagger—that's a singer. The Beatles—those are singers. Keith Morris, Iggy Pop, Johnny Rotten, even Joey Ramone—these are vocalists. Maybe Joey Ramone's more of a singer than than the rest. These are vocalists. These are guys who Henry Rollins. These are guys who are the singers and they are singing, but. They're, they're not singing, you know, the, the, the aesthetics of their voice don't reflect what one considers to be beauty. And that makes them more of a vocalist, vocalists than singers in, in the classic sense of what you think of a singer is from a musical standpoint, I guess. Um, remembering the attitude of punks at the time, Lydon recalled early 70s Britain was a very depressing place. It was completely run down. There was trash on the streets, total unemployment. Just about everyone was on the strike. Every Everybody was brought up in the education system that told you point blank that if you came from the wrong side of the tracks, then you had no hope in hell, no career prospects at all. Out of that pre- pretentious moy and the sex pistols and a whole bunch of copycat wankers after us. That was so-so. Uh, before too long, the band were making waves, and this is not... I thought this was going to be more about Glenn Matlock. This really is kind of a clickbaity piece. You know? All right. Rue disagrees with me here. He's saying that Joey is definitely a singer. Fine. I'm not going to... I'm not going to... That's not a hill I'm willing to die on. He is He is somewhat of a singer. He is a singer, dude. He's totally a singer. He's singing. He's he's channeling the Beach Boys on those, on, and and especially later on, and like the later half of the Ramones, all those later Ramones albums, he's like really developed his own sort of like singing voice. He is not a vocalist. I stand corrected, Rumorg. I stand corrected. I agree. Joey is a singer. I wouldn't. We won't put him in that category. Um. So, before too long, the band were making waves across the British live scene, and whilst on the road, they would go on to influence everybody from Susie Sue and the Banshees to Joy Division. They would cause a stir amongst the older generation and gain support from the nihilistic youth at the same time. Not since Beatlemania had Britain seen such a game-changing cultural phenomenon. Great sentence, great observation, I agree. Two heady years would pass, and in February of 1977, Matlock... Okay, so I was wrong. I thought it was March of 77. Right. 
Sid Vicious comes in in March, but Matlock had been booted as early as February. In 1977, Matlock would be thrown out of the band. McLaren sent a telegraph to the NME, New Music Express, claiming that he was thrown out because he went on too long about Paul McCartney. The Beatles was too much. I mean, again, like, first of all, that's that's so stupid to me because the Beatles are awesome. The Beatles are everything. And that's number one. Number two, the Sex Pistols owe everything to the Beatles, kind of, in a way. You know, at least, you know, from a musical standpoint, they're not... They're not do. They're not reinventing the wheel here at all. Like the Sex Pistols music is great, but it's not like it's nothing. I don't know. It's nothing out of the ordinary. You know, um, that's number two. Number three, Matlock is the guy writing all the songs. You know, he and Cook, Paul Cook, is 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 instrumental in writing the songs as well. But these are the guys that are bringing the songs. Jones is polishing the songs with with the punk attitude. And then Rotten is adding a vocal melody and lyrics. And as some people will say, the identity of a song lies in the melody and the lyrics. Very famous example. I'm not super, super quick side tangent. Very famous example of, I think it's Andy Gill from The Police and Sting. Uh, I'll be watching you. The entire song is written around a riff. The I can't, I can't hum it correctly. And then when Puff Daddy in 1997 sampled I'll Be Watching You, or Every Breath You Take, I should say, when, when, they, when they sample Every Breath every breath You Take, who do you think gets the royalties? Do you think Andy Gill does? Because they took the only thing that was used from the song in the hip-hop version, which blew up and was the number one record of 1997 in light of the notorious B.I.G.'s death, um... Who, who do you think got the money? Who do you think got the royalties from the riff? Was it Andy Gill, the guy who wrote the riff? Or was it the composer of the lyrics and the melody? It was Sting, the composer of the lyrics and the melody. And he did not share any of the royalties with Andy Gill. I believe his last name is Gill, right? Isn't that a guy from, from Police? Could be wrong. Rue Morgue, look that up if you, if, you ha- if you have an available hand. I'm curious to know. My, my system is too taxed. To be searching for these things. Just, just confirm for me if you can. If you can. If not, I understand. Um, I believe his name is Andy Gill. In any case, so, you know, every pistol is sort of integral to the creation of these songs. But, you know, again, like, the big songwriting force of the band is Glenn Matlock. You know what I'm saying? Like that Beatles stuff of going on too long, too hard about Paul McCartney. And that's where, like, you know, Malcolm is so concerned about the image. We're the anti-Beatles. We're the anti-this, the anti-establishment. We're anarchy in the UK, and the Beatles aren't anarchy. So that's unpunk. So you can't talk about that. You know, um, that it's kind of baloney because you're what you're doing is you're killing the goose that's laying all the golden eggs. It's kind of stupid, if you ask me. So what does Matlock do? And this goes back to the initial question of the article and the the clickbaity title of this video you clicked on was. Is Matlock unlucky for being booted out of the Sex Pistols? Not at all. He wrote ten out of the twelve songs. He got not only does he get the publishing, and you know uh, all that, but he got to you know lay down tracks for songs that would end up, you know, the singles and things. I think he plays bass on three three tracks, four tracks, on um, Never Mind the Bullocks. He gets royalties from that too. So he got to put his stamp on, and then he was booted. And because he hadn't ruined his relationship with EMI the way the Sex Pistols as a whole had, he was able to sign with them and do this band called the Rich Kids. So he went right back to EMI after EMI boots the Sex Pistols for being too, you know, racy or whatever, and he's off gigging, doing, you know, riding the wave of, of punk rock. You know, and then right after that, he's he's writing songs with Iggy Pop. You know, ah, thank you, Rue. I really appreciate that. So Andy Gill is the guy from Gang of Four, not from The Police. Andy Summer is who I'm thinking of. I think it's Andy Summer, not Andy Gill. I'm almost positive. Thank you, Rue. I just like the name Summer just popped into my head. 
So that's one reason why he was thrown out. Another reason why he was thrown out. Um, He did not get along with the other guys. A legitimate reason to boot someone out of a band. You know, band chemistry is important. What's going on, Jody? Welcome to the welcome to the show tonight. We're talking about Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. If you care to to weigh in in the comments, my slow system is not letting me show your thing. Oh boy, Jody, we can't talk about the, these things right now. Jody wants to know about the the Sam Hain or Danzig version of possession, and the answer to that is the Danzig version, obviously. But we're not talking about that. I'm staying on topic, Jody. You can't sway me, no matter how much we love talking about that stuff. Save it for tomorrow. Save it for tomorrow night. Um, the other reason why they kicked him out, you know, besides, you know, bad chemistry with the with the rest of the guys, besides the 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 you know um, the political polit- band politics that motivated Johnny Rotten. He wanted to get his friend Sid Vicious into the band. Um, Friggin' Glenn Matlock's asking questions. He's going, Malcolm, where's our money? Where's all our money? What's going on? Where's the money? And Malcolm McLaren's, go- Malcolm McLaren's going, um, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, be gone, be gone. You know, he's like kicking him out. He's kicking him out because he's asking questions. He's asking questions about the money that, that McLaren is sort of embezzling from the band. Um, this is what Matlock, on the other hand, Matlock claimed he left the Pistols via, via mutual agreement because he was sick of all the BS, sick of all the bullocks. He was replaced by the iconic headcase, Sid Vicious, and we all know how that ended up. Given, and I mean, look, I mean, kicking Glenn out of the band essentially was the death kiss for the Sex Pistols. Had they kept... Glenn Matlock in the band, they would have recorded a follow-up album and maybe even a third album before maybe they would have imploded. The band would have had longevity despite whatever, you know, interpersonal turmoil they were experiencing. Um, by kicking him out of the band, they were sealing the fate. They were they were 100% sealing their fate by bringing him, because here's the thing, the, the, there's a moment, there's a watershed moment for the Sex Pistols where they stop being a functioning songwriting band and they it becomes all about publicity and it sort of lines up right when Glenn Matlock leaves the band on the Solomon Grundy show in December of 1976 the band goes on Solomon Grundy's like the Larry King of 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 England in the 70s right huge national syndication you know t- talk show news type guy real straight-laced older you know Englishman from you know, this is like in, in Margaret, what is it, Margaret Thatcher, Thatcher, England, right? You know what I mean? Like really conservative, whatever. Was that was that in the 80s? Who was in the 70s? I don't know. Conservative England. Um, and uh, they all are cursing. They're cursing. They call him a dirty wanker. Jones goes, F off you dirty wanker. You dirty, dirty wanker. And Rotten goes, mm. <laughs> I love the way he says, shit. On the broadcast, and he says, "What did you just say?" He goes, "What did you say?" And he goes, <laughs> "A bad word, <laughs> a bad word." It's just so funny. And then they call him a wanker. And that moment—that's what exploded in the beginning of 1977. After this broadcast, that is what exploded the Sex Pistols everywhere, internationally. Suddenly, this thing that was called punk was everywhere, right? It begins with that. And then two months later, they boot Glenn Matlock out of the band. Malcolm McLaurin, Malcolm McLaren, in the same way that Sid Vicious is addicted to dope, gets off on the rush from a salacious headline. And so they, you know, no longer, the Sex Pistols, it's not about the music anymore. He's like, you know, McLaren's like, okay, you guys got 12 songs. We're going to go into the studio. We're going to do the album. You know, maybe it was always meant to be a flash in the pan. Maybe it was never, there was never any future for the Sex Pistols. And that's why McLaren was not concerned with having any kind of musical longevity that Glenn Matlock would bring, whether he was sick of all the bullshit or not. They didn't get along. That's that's the truth of it. So, so Matlock claims that it's mutual. In any case, this idea that this article presents, you know, even in jest, even with a question mark, are they... Are they unlucky? I mean, 
is he unlucky? No, not at all, dude. Like, I don't think so at all. In fact, he's super lucky because he got to be a part of it and he didn't have to stick around for all the the nonsense. Because, you know, once that happened, they were getting banned. They couldn't play shows. They had to play under different names. They couldn't tour. I mean, it was just, it was endless setbacks one after another for the Sex Pistols after this appearance. It was, you know, Steve Jones talks about it being actually fun. You know, being in a band. The year 1976 was great. 1976 was great for the Pistols. Rue says they they effing booted Matlock because they felt he was too much of a mum's boy. Effing lame wankers made the wrong choice. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that too. You know, that he's like this posh kid, you know, mom's boy, like all that stuff. He didn't fit in the image that they wanted, the perceived image that they wanted. But, I mean, it was just, like I said, it's like they weren't thinking about the future. They weren't thinking about the long game. Not that they should. And it ultimately was the worst thing that they could have done for their band. Looking back, Jones explained his thoughts on the definitive event, stating... He was a good writer, but he didn't look like a sex pistol. That's a terrible Steve Jones. I, I really, you know, I, I, my ego inflated when I attempted to, to do Johnny Rotten the other day, and everybody was like, well, it was a good Johnny Rotten, Jeff, and I totally can't do it, so I'm just going to stop trying. He says he didn't look like a sex pistol. It's the same thing. Oh, Bobby Steele can't lift up a guitar app. It's just, it's, like, who cares? Who cares? And he was always washing his feet, and his mom didn't like, his mum didn't like the songs. I mean, ridiculous. Matlock has also claimed that he found it increasingly hard to deal with Rotten's inflated ego. That I 100% can believe. Once he had his name in the papers, uh, laterally, Laterally, Leiden argued that the single God Save the Queen and its sarcastic take on the British monarchy was the final straw. The the Pistols frontman claimed that Matlock couldn't handle those kinds of lyrics. He said it declared us fascists. I'm sure there's a little strand of truth in there too, but I don't I don't know, man. I don't think I think that it was it's like a, it's a confluence of a lot of things. Regardless, Matlock has since been regarded as the unluckiest man in punk. I don't know if that's true. Says who? Okay, number one. And, like, it's just just ridiculous. I agree. Jay says it's also Glenn was the only one who knew how to play. I mean, it's true. He was the most musician-like out of all of them put together. You know? Not that that matters when it comes to punk per se, because whatever punk is not supposed to be about that, I guess. I don't know. It has to be on some level. You gotta have, you gotta be able to write a good song. You gotta be able to play with passion. I think, you know what I think matters most when playing punk and rock and roll in general? It's not it's not the technicality. That's what, like, all those prog rock people and metal guys, it's all about technical stuff with them. And the difference between punk and metal is that like punk is about finesse and trying to be technically great and you know um being being able to have like all these you know insane chops where you know all these frets and no music theory maybe or something on some level and i feel like punk is just about attitude how are you playing how you feel you know, it does. It could be the simplest riff ever. And it goes back to what I was saying about Helter Skelter the other day. You know, we were talking about the Beatles. We were talking about the White Album. We were talking about Helter Skelter and how the bass that John Lennon plays on Helter Skelter is one of the most punk things you'll ever hear. Go and listen to the bass on Helter Skelter and tell me if there's anything more punk and ferocious than that bass in 1968. There's only one thing I think that really trumps it, actually. If you listen to Iggy Pop's vocals when he sings for the Iguanas in 1965, which I didn't even know existed until very, very recently, thanks to Nick Esposito. Shout out to Nick. We got to do our third episode of the Stooges show, you know, Funhouse. Um, <laughs> Sid was the greatest punk to attempt an instrument. I don't know if I agree with that. Then Steve had to do all Sid's bass parts in the bollocks recording except for on bodies 
So in essence, it made it harder on themselves. For sure. For sure. They had no real low end when they were playing live. It was just guitar and drums. They'd turn off Sadie or he wasn't even playing and then just singing. I mean, it was just... What's the point, man? What's the freaking point? Um, so this idea of him being the most unlu- the unluckiest guy as his departure came before the band released their debut and, and only studio album, never mind the books, but he gets royalties from it, from the publishing. The one thing that makes him unlucky, there is one thing that makes him unlucky. Let me just finish reading the sentence. The story goes that he never got to enjoy the fruits of his labor. I think he did. In 1976, he enjoyed the fruits of his labor by being in the band when they were a functioning band, you know, um, and that it was Vicious who basked in his glory. I think that's true. I think Vicious definitely basked in glory. That wasn't his. Vicious didn't earn it. He just came in. And Vicious is the is the biggest poser of all, which makes him to be the perfect punk icon because what is the thing that punks or punk is all about? It's all about not being a poser and then kind of actually being poser, like, sort of, like, anyway. And, like, Sid Vicious is, like, the ultimate version of that. He's the most punk guy ever. It's just, it's all about fashion, no musical substance, and... You know, he's canonized for everything but playing music. You know what I mean? Bodies is my favorite, uh, my single most favorite Sex Pistols song is Bodies. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's their greatest work. Um, I also like No Feeling. Holiday in the Sun is a great song. Uh, But Bodies is the best. Bodies is the best thing they ever did, in my opinion. Um, to make this clear, Matlock is credited as the co-writer on 10 of the 12 songs appearing on the album. Now, they split royalties, you know, 25, 25, 25, and 25. So, Matlock leaves the band. Sid comes in the band. Now, here's what's messed up. After they had sued Malcolm McLaren, after, long after the band had broken up, at, at, the, at the behest of, of Johnny Rotten, they sue Malcolm, right? And they win... And or whatever, something happens in court, but basically everything gets divided up like this: um, 25% to John Lydon, 25% to Paul Cook, 25% to Steve Jones, and then the remaining 25% is split between Sid Vicious's estate. So Sid Vicious never had any children; he died at 22. His mother passed away, so the estate is is the benefactor of the estate is some distant cousin or something right some some relative who had nothing to do with anything who benefits from this situation and then the other half that other 12.5% goes to Glenn Matlock so Glenn Matlock gets 12.5% of everything even though he wrote 10 out of the 12 songs now i don't know if publishing is different publishing might be a different story maybe this is in relation to royalties and merchandise and t-shirts and stuff like that who knows i don't i don't actually know i don't know if it it has to do specifically with publishing but if vicious even gets 12.5 percent of publishing despite the fact that he didn't write a single song and plays bass on one track of one track on bodies then, I mean, that's that would be ridiculous. That would I don't know if you'd call that unlucky, but I most certainly would call that unfair. I feel like unlucky is just not the right word to use here. One would argue, on the contrary, that Matlock is perhaps the luckiest man in punk. He added a great deal to the Sex Pistols and to the majority of their work and managed to jump off the ship, the ship before it burst into catastrophic flames. His departure wouldn't even mark the end of his work with the Pistols. It's true. So, you know, uh, as he would often return in contr- on contracted or session capacity to help them write new material. Without his input, the album wouldn't have been the same. So even after he left, they were still bringing him in and hiring him on a contracted session. You know what that is? That's work for hire where he doesn't own anything, but he gets paid as essentially to be like a session guy. Reflecting on this, Jones has expressed regret at Matlock's departure. Uh, We were what we were. Who cares if he washed his feet? That was him. I'm sure he had things that bugged him. 
Jones has also said that the Pistols would have most likely carried on if he had stayed on due to his songwriting capabilities. Durr. I mean, isn't that always the proof of the pudding? We talked about those misfit guys. We talked about, you look at all the misfit guys. I'm talking about, like, in the 95 misfits. You look at all the misfit guys. Who's the, who are the guys putting out albums? Who's not putting out albums? Who's putting out material, period? That, that's where the songwriting strength was, right? Because the songwriters, they write songs. And those who don't write songs or have trouble or have more trouble, it takes them longer to put stuff out for whatever reason. You know, and you can use the excuse of, oh, well, you know, resources. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. Look, but well, I don't know. But all I'm going to say is one guy who, you know, is credited with a lot of writing on those two albums that the Misfits did, he's put out one album. He put out one album in 20 years. What does that say to you? To me, it says that he wasn't as much of a writer as we thought he was. Because writers write, don't they? I mean, if you're going to write, you're going to write. And he didn't write. Or he Whatever he's written has remained shelved. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that's not. Maybe that's a bad, bad way to put it. But that's what I say. The proof is in the pudding. Um, but look at the Sex Pistols is a, is a testament to that notion as well. Because freaking, you know, they they didn't write very many songs or the songs that they wrote after Matt Lock left the band. There is more material. There's songs like Friggin' in the Riggin', uh, Belson was a gas. Yada yada yada, like that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know what, what kind of role Matlock played in that. After all, famously, Sid Vicious wasn't very much of a musician, or shall we say, as cerebral as Matlock. This is in re- this is in reference to longevity that we're talking here. Matlock would have the last laugh, though, as he played with the Pistols at every one of the reunions. So when they go back and they start making money on the reunion circuit, they did 1996, 2003, 2008. They did a whole bunch of stuff. Um, he he's he's the one that's cashing in. He's the one that's truly reveling in the glory because when they that was a, those were very successful reunion shows, and here he is. You know he was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too. You know what I mean? Like he didn't—he didn't lose out on anything. He just didn't have to deal with the insanity. Um, and he would make hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars off of the Sex Pistols. Anyway, after the Pistols, in the, at least in the sense with those reunion tours, and currently, he stands to make as much as 2.5 million pounds, or maybe more, off of this new Pistol thing that's coming out. Um, after the Pistols, he also went on to play, I didn't even know this, he played on the Dam's 1994 album, Not in the Surf. So how about that? He also played with the Damned. And he's featured in, this I knew about, he's into tons of supergroups, boasting the likes of Clem Burke from Blondie, Mick Jones from The Clash, and Earl Slick. Um, in tw- and he also worked with Cheetah Chrome. I believe, and he also worked with uh, Sylvain Sylvain before he passed away. In 2010, he even learned he even lent his base to the glitzy reunion of the British rock icons faces. So going back to the Rod Stewart faces situation, he played in the reunion shows with the faces. Okay. I wonder what Paul Cook and Steve Jones, both big faces fans must've felt about that. It is wickedly ironic that Matlock is the only member of the sex pistols to carry on actively as a musician. I mean, that's not true. I mean, Leiden had his own band, Public Image Limited, which also, um, you know, was very, very successful in its own right. Um, so I wouldn't say it's he's not the only member, but he's definitely one of two, because Cook and, Cook and Jones don't really do music. Um, uh... It's wickedly ironic that Matlock is the only member of the Sex Whistles to carry on actively as a musician, and actively is an understatement. Try prolific. Now, who said unluckiest? I mean, I don't know who said unluckiest. It would be helpful if they actually shared with us who they're they're, they're talking about. See, look, someone, Wendy here, she comments underneath that article we just read, the only member to carry on actively as a musician, I guess PIL's Public Image Limited's 10 albums over about 30 years wasn't carrying on musically. I mean, that's just poor, that's just poor friggin' 
research. Yeah, someone else mentioned Paul and the professionals. That's right. Professionals carried on even without Steve Jones. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of... This article was... There's a lot of uh, holes in this article, I guess. Now, there's one other thing that we have to look at because we like to be thorough here. Oh, I'm sorry. There's more comments. I missed these comments. Sorry. Hold on. Stupid frigging computer, Dora. Stupid computer, Dora. Hold on. Hold on. Lonely boy. <laughs> Ronnie Biggs' estate didn't get a cut. What's up with that? Who's Ronnie Biggs? I don't know. Uh, just like the Ramones did with Tommy and Dee Dee. Are you referring to the, the 25, 25, 25, 25, whatever? Um, I love New York, too, because it, ta it, it contains a term that would get them canceled today. I hate this idea. I hate this whole idea of canceled. I, can't we recontextualize that? It's not canceled. It's it's consequences. And even still, I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't subscribe to that. Cancel. Who's getting canceled? You know, the only people that are getting canceled are the ones that can't post to Twitter, YouTube, you know, Facebook. If you can do those things, you're not canceled. You know, um, blacklisted. You know, blacklisting has gone on. People are confusing the word canceled with blacklisting. And blacklisting has gone on forever. And what happens? How do you get blacklisted? You act like an asshole. You do something that's super ass assholic. I know that's not a word. By society's standards in whatever contemporary period it is. And you get blacklisted, blackballed, whatever you want to call it. You know, what does that have to do with being canceled? Canceled is just the, the latest contextualization of being blacklisted. People do, people act like assholes, they get blacklisted. You know? Oh, why is he blacklisted? He was acting like an asshole. We don't want to deal with that. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand this, you know, oh, cancel. We shouldn't we just allow people to be assholes no matter what. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like, don't, I'm not saying like that you're not allowed to not be an asshole. I'm just saying like, don't be a little, you know, B-I-T-C-H, you know, if there are consequences to being, to acting like an a-hole basically is what I'm saying. Jeremy says, Matlock was a college, was college educated and well-spoken. So what, man? So friggin' what? I don't think that matters. I don't think that matters. Johnny had PIL. Yeah, Steve released two solo albums that were non-existent, that like, they didn't chart, they didn't do anything. Um, Jeremy says, they claimed that he liked the Beatles as a way to get rid of him. However, Matlock has said that he is not a Beatles fan and is one of many lies that they made. Yeah, it, that's, it's all BS, man. It's all BS. He just was asking, he's asking um, too many questions about, you know, finances. As in, Dee Dee and Tommy kept contributing to the Ramones after they left. Yeah, super right, Rue. Exactly, 100%. Ronnie was involved in the great train robbery. Train robbery. He did some work. Huh. He did some work with Stephen Paul. Did not know that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let's look at one more thing here. There's one last thing I want to look at. Uh, let me see if I can find it. This is under Glenn Matlock's wiki, wiki, wiki. And in it, I'm going to, let's find the spot. Glenn Matlock was known to perform with other bands, blah, 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 blah. Here, let's click on, actually, let's go to the Sex Pistols for a minute, real quick. This is Jonesy's jukebox on KOLS 95.5. Um, here. Is this where... No, I can't find, there's, where's the part they were talking about? He was uh, replaced by Sid Vicious in early 1977 under, here, let's see if we can find it down here. Uh, the Grundy incident, Sid Vicious joins the band, let's see. Alright, uh, you know, I can't find, I can't find 
the spot. In February of 1977, word leaked out that Matlock was leading the Sex Pistols. On the 28th of February, McLaren sent that telegram. He claimed that Matlock had been thrown out because he went on too long about Paul McCartney, blah, blah, blah. In an interview a few months afterwards, Steve Jones echoed the change that Matlock had been sacked because he liked the Beatles. Years later, Jones expanded on the matter of the band's issues with Matlock. He was a good writer, but he didn't look like a sex... You see, that the, the person who wrote that article we just read, they just took it straight from the, the Wikipedia here. Um, later in... Here you go. Here's something that's interesting. Later in his autobiography, he described the primary impetus as his increasingly acrimonious relationship with Rotten, exacerbated in Matlock's account by the rampant inflation of Rotten's ego once he had his name in the papers. That's also, I mean, this guy literally copy-pasted from the Wikipedia. Um, but I can't find the part. There was There was a quote from Johnny Rotten's book. That's what I wanted to read it from. That's where I wanted to read from, and now I can't find it anywhere. Let's see if I can find it over here. I mean, he literally, he just went right back when they reunited. He went right back to his place as the bassist. Like, he never left. It was for, you know, Sid Vicious was there for a year at the, you know, at, at the downfall and the downward spiral. Matlock got to taste nothing but glory the whole friggin' time, you know? Um... Nope, doesn't say anything about it here. I there was a thing, there was a quote. There was a quote from his. Let's see, let's see if it says it here. Um, Leiden was interested in dub music. McLaren was said to have been upset when Leiden revealed during a radio interview that his influences included progressive experimentalists like Magma Can, Captain Beefheart, and Vander Groff Generator. Tensions between Leiden and bassist Glenn Matlock arose. The reason for this... Hold on. The reason for this... For the reasons for this are disputed, but Leiden claimed in an autobiography that he believed Matlock to be too white-collared and middle class, and that Matlock was always going on about the likes of the Beatles. Uh, no, it's the same thing. Matlock quit, and as his replacement, Leiden recommended his school friend John Simon Ritchie, who used the stage name Sid Vicious. Although Ritchie was an incompetent bassist, Mal uh, McLaren agreed that he had the look that the band wanted. Pale, emaciated, spiky-haired, with ripped clothes, and a perpetual sneer. Let's see what, let's see also real quick, what else did, did Glenn Matlock write? Let's just take a look at that too. I'm not going to share this thing. <laughs> I'll show you my Captain Beefheart. As, um, as we used to say when I did that tour with that band one time, I got your Beefheart right here. That's what we used to say. What's up, Amy? Welcome to the stream. What's up, crazy white boy? Thank you for joining the chat. The chatterat. Who else do we got here? I'll show you my Captain Beefheart. <laughs> the reflection of the light makes Jeff have demon eyes. Do 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 do. <laughs> Great impression. Terrible impression. No, I'm curious to see. Let's just check one more thing here. Oy vey. These things are getting out of control. Hold on real quick. Let's see. Okay, here it is. Discography, Sex Pistols. Wow. So, all right, there's something called Spunk, which I believe is demos. That came out in 77. The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, Flogging a Dead Horse. Let's see what songs are on Spunk and on the great rock and roll swindle. And then, I mean, listen, they put out a live album, Filthy Lucre, in 1996. I bet that sold like crazy. They did another one in 2008 and another one in 2008. I mean, they he did they did pretty freaking well. Uh, even after being booted from the band, he did pretty freaking well. Let's see here. Is it going to show us... Oh, you know what's interesting? Yeah, Belson was a gas. Who killed Bambi? 
But you know what's funny? It doesn't show the names of the songs for the soundtrack. I guess the soundtrack would have been... Huh. Where is... The footage was filmed in early to mid-1978 between the departure of singer John Lydon from the band and their subsequent split. Hmm. All right. I guess not. And then here's Spunk. Spunk is... This is a bootleg... And the bootleg has songs called Lazy... Okay, Lazy Sod, when it was 17. Satellite Feelings, Just Me, I Want to Be... So, I Want to Be Me is another one. Nookie was the original name for Anarchy in the UK. No Future was God Save the Queen. Lots of Fun would turn into Pretty Vacant. Uh, Who Was It becomes EMI. Um, Interesting. Very, very interesting. All songs on the original bootleg album were simply credited to Spunk. All songs written by the Sex Pistols. So just credited to the Sex Pistols. I don't know where it gets divvied up, but, you know, again, I I have such a, you know, it's quite clear that, that, uh, what's-his-face was, you know, a really important presence musically to that band. And now we will turn the demon eyes on full tilt. Questions, concerns, comments. If you're just joining us for the first time here, please make sure to like this video. Please make sure to leave a comment. Check out our Patreon. We got t-shirts down in the description. We do lots of shows. Tomorrow night we're doing the uh, Streaming Evil Live. We're going to do a female extravaganza. Got a bunch of stuff to, to, to look at. Uh, Thursday is the third episode of Sinful Celluloid with Mr. Jimenez. Um, we're going to be talking about some stuff. Let's see what else. Glenn, wait, I just saw something here. Interesting, interesting. According to Analog Nebraska, let's, this is what Analog Nebraska says, Glenn gets roughly 20% of publishing minus some songs. Interesting. Very, very Interesting. Yeah, frigging in the rigging. My God. You can tell that that Johnny Rotten's not singing that song. Cash from Chaos, is that another song, I guess, that they did? I don't know. Um, Anything else, ladies and gents, that we have neglected? Questions, comments, concerns? We actually have a... I have a Sex Pistols t-shirt in the shop... Check it out. It says, never mind, I want to have another slice of pizza. That's that's the shirt. I'm not going to show it to you now. Um, <laughs> crazy white boy. You are so funny. Crazy white boy says... Crazy white boy says... Hold on. Hold on. Where is Noodles complaining about Bobby Steele's driving? It, it's misfits related. That's true. We all know that Noodles can't stand the way that Bobby Steele drives. It's so true. You know what's funny? We had, oh yes, that's true. Let's let's talk about that for two seconds. Uh, Machine Gun says, Johnny Ramone's guitar got sold for $900,000. Almost a million dollars. Which is hilarious because, freaking, you know, Johnny Ramone, he had a goal. He was like, I want to make a million dollars and then retire. And the, I, I just think about the irony that nearly 20 years, almost 20 years after his death, 17 years after his death, his guitar sells for a million dollars, just about a million dollars. So he could have had himself $2 million, almost. I don't know. I just think that's kind of crazy. Thanks for reminding me of that, uh, Machine Gun. Funny, we, you know, we have this, like, little troll stalker guy that comes into the... Um, chat and says nasty things. Um, Rue Morg will tell you will, will tell you all about it. He sees it all the time. And you know, I found out the name of this kid. This kid um, Skidwar or whatever. His name's Logan. And so I addressed him by his name, and he was shocked. He was not expecting me to know his name was Logan. And he shut up. He didn't say another word. You know, we get like hundreds of comments in the thing. Just endless comments. Really nasty stuff, too, in some some aspects. Just, like, disgusting things. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was funny. That he was not... The moment that his real name was said on the internet, he, he, he was not happy about that. That was friggin' hilarious. I was like, oh, what's up, Logan? 
He's like, he was not expecting me to know his name. That's how trolls operate. They operate an, under anonymity. If you take the anonymity away from a troll, that's their kryptonite. They're done. They're, they're, they're wrapped up. They'll, they'll bounce in two seconds. They don't, want to de- they don't want anybody to know who they are. You know what I'm saying? Um, here, Angus McHorter. <laughs> Angus McHorter, love your name, says... They tried to hire Ronnie Biggs, who was involved in the Great Train Robbery. He sings a song or two in the Great in the Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Thank you for explaining that. I did not know. I did not know that. Um, that 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 clears that clears it up. Yeah, they were just they they just they had problems, man. They just once they lost Glenn Matlock, they just and you would think. That with all the reunions, reunions that they did, that this is interesting too. They never were inspired to make another album. Would it live up to the standards of what you know the, the mythology of what the Sex Pistols were? Probably not. But you would think with all the live albums that they did, that eventually there would be another. But then again, how do you write a Sex Pistols album and when you're like 45 years old? Like, isn't like the Sex Pistols something you have to do when you're like 21? You know, it's. Part of the same reason why I think Uncle Glenn is hard-pressed to try and write a new Misfits album. Like, kind of hard to do that, unless he's working from old compositions that he had written in the Misfit days. That is another story. And that is a topic for another stream. So like I said, if you enjoyed this, Walter White is joining us at the tail end of the stream. I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to Walter. He always comes in. He's from New Zealand. Thank you, Walter, for joining us. Jay says, didn't they, they did do a song for a Mountain Dew commercial. I, I mean, yeah, they did. Um, they did a bunch of songs. And, you know, they have like a, v, they have a whole veto power thing. Like, if you, you know, if, if it's a, it's a majority, it's a majority thing. The veto only works if there's like, oh, no, no, that's not how vetoes work. Veto is usually the minority expressing, uh, their dissatisfaction. Never mind. Dude, we revel in our youth and our old age. That's my opinion. Well, that's my opinion. I know, but, Rube, this is my point. I'm not, I don't want to deny being, you know, I say this as a 36-year-old man almost, like, not terribly old and not terribly young, just sort of somewhere in the middle. Like, I just feel like there's a certain amount of angst that you're going to need to come back and do something that is going to be regarded as a Sex Pistols album. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure they could do the Sex Pistols, but they'd have to do it totally from their point of view. You know what I mean? Like, it has to be, it would have to be from their age and point of view. I mean, Steve Jones is doing, he was a spin cycle instructor. You know, like, doing with, like, the bikes spin cycle instructor? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that's the show. There was nothing punk. There was nothing punk. Sorry. Sorry. Sex pistols shooting blanks. I just always thought sex pistol meant peen, that's all. That's it. Just It just means peen. Nothing more. Um, all right, guys. You got anything else for me, or is that... There was nothing punk about the Pistols' music. It's pure rock and roll. I mean, in this way, yeah, you're kind of right. It is just rock and roll. It is. The Pistols' music is rock and roll. What makes... What gives the Pistols their sort of punkness or punk identity is... It's the, the lyrical content that they're writing about, you know, that that, that you add to that sort of New York Dolls inspired rock and roll. You know, that's that's where it kind of that's how it kind of comes. As as he said, as Steve Jones said, we loved the faces. Is that is the faces do you consider the faces to be punk in any way shape or form? No. Um Rue says they'll be playing to their old fans just like Danzig does. I don't know. But I mean, listen, Rue I'm not, I don't know how about you. Personally, I, I was not inspired. I didn't, I think the most inspired thing that Glenn has done has been Dantic Sings Elvis. I was not a fan, really, of Skeletons. I'm not a fan of Black Lady and Crown. 
You know, it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. I just you know, that's not to say that Danzig should just stop writing altogether. Like, of course, I want him to continue to write and put stuff out. I just think that, like, I, I think maybe he needs to approach it from a different perspective now. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it is kind of hypocritical to be like, oh, you reach a certain age. You're only allowed to write because you're at this certain age. You know, there is something to be said. Like, you know, mentality is mentality. Whatever you feel mentally is what you should write about. But, <laughs> Jeff, tomorrow we Danzig. I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve's guitar playing was totally the faces in Chuck Berry. Thank you, Rue. What's up, Javis Bickle? How you doing, amigo? Hold on, where's Rue's comment here? Guys, this thing is so slow. It's it's terrible. I'm so sorry. Um All right, we're going to we're going to cut this stream. It's it's been an hour. Try not to go for super duper long. We'll see you all tomorrow night, guys. Great episode. Um, like I said, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, talk to you guys real soon. Keep your eyes peeled for a new Beatles video that's dropping on Friday. Boop. Peace and hair grease.